Oh yes, got a great topic for you today. We're asking the question, should Christians celebrate Christmas? Should Christians celebrate Christmas? A long-standing controversial topic among Christians of all shapes and sizes, types, and formats. And we're going to look at it from every angle that we possibly can. So let's dive in. Great to have you here at Apostolic Voice, the podcast. You can find this subject originally covered over at the blog, ryanafrench.com. Just type in, should Christians celebrate Christmas in the search engine? You can find it that way. Usually around this time of year, it's in the top 10 uh, articles. And so you can find it over there to the right of your computer screen or cell phone screen or tablet, however you uh, choose to go to the blog. Uh, Or you can just listen to it right here, right now. The irony of the Christmas debate never ceases to amaze me. On the one hand, secular culture really tries hard to take Christ out of Christmas. To them, Christmas is just another holiday. But on the other hand, a very loud minority of Christians consider Christmas a pagan practice. And the rest of us, and yes, I'm giving my position away right now, the rest of us are uncomfortably sandwiched in between these two extremes. Before the rise of social media, these debates seemed a little more vague and obscure. Everyone pretty much just did their own thing and went on with their lives. But social media definitely gets people from every side of the Christmas issue at one another's throats, especially uh, right around this time of year. Lots of people feel the need to strongly state their opinions, and just about everyone else feels the need to be offended by everyone else's opinion. Uh, Yeah, it's about as crazy as it sounds, And, and again... Uh, Social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those things have really amplified this whole issue and caused people to be much more vocal about it maybe than they were in the past. So let me respond to the secular objections to Christmas first. They find offense at the elevation of one religion over others, and in some cases, the elevation of any religion at all in the public domain. Their solution is to de-Christianize the season and replace it with strictly secular terminology and traditions. It's why you have people that refuse to say Merry Christmas. Instead, they'll say Happy Holidays or something like that. Santa, elves, and reindeer fit nicely into this agenda, this secular agenda, because the childish make-believe parts of Christmas have no distinctly Judeo-Christian roots. And when you peel back the layers of this anti-Christian stance against the holiday of Christmas, you'll find their secular motivation for attacking Christmas is mostly rooted in rabid Christophobia, hatred of Christianity. Now, not for everyone, but for many, this is really the root of the problem. Now, without getting too far ahead of myself, this alone is a pretty compelling reason, at least for me, to celebrate Christmas louder and louder every year. If pagans consider Christmas too Christian for comfort, then Christmas is clearly not a pagan holiday. On that note, 
Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. That's Mark 8.38. Christians should never shy away from any opportunity to talk about Jesus openly. Like it or not, America was founded on Judeo-Christian values. Sadly, I don't really consider America a truly Christian nation any longer. However, we Christians have every right biblically and constitutionally to voice our faith loud and long. Christmas is a great opportunity for us to do that. I think capitulating to secularism would be a tragic mistake and offensive to the Lord. Of course, we should never be intentionally offensive or ugly, but just celebrating the birth of our risen Savior, even if it's not actually the exact day or week or moment of his birth, is well within our reasonable rights. If speaking the name of Jesus or talking about Emmanuel, God with us, publicly, is offensive, then we have an obligation to be offensive. If Christians become timid about a story as innocuous as the birth of the Messiah, then we won't have the courage to talk about his death and resurrection, and we certainly won't have the courage to talk about holiness and separation from worldliness and and, uh, and overcoming sin in our lives. So clearly, I have no sympathy for the secular objections to Christmas, and I don't think you should either. But let me shift gears and and address the Christian objections to celebrating Christmas. Their concerns usually center around five different issues. Number one, we don't actually know the date of Jesus' birth. That's something I've already alluded to. Number two, the Bible doesn't specifically instruct us to celebrate Jesus' birth. Number three, they argue that Christmas itself and the surrounding traditions are rooted in paganism. This is often the most compelling argument. Number four, there's a scripture that appears to forbid Christmas trees. We'll look at that a little closer in a moment. And number five, the crass commercialism surrounding the Christmas season turns many Christians off to the idea of the Christmas holiday. So there are good and sincere people who make these objections compellingly. Others make ignorant claims that are more ludicrous and argumentative than necessary, and we see those people on our uh, on our Instagram feeds and so forth. And I've certainly seen Christians from both sides of the issue display less than Christ-like behavior when deba- debating the points mentioned above. It's mostly ugly, it's totally unnecessary, and it destroys everyone's credibility. Also, While I do believe that celebrating Christmas is a good thing, probably even a wonderful thing, I'm painfully aware of how it feels to have a deeply held countercultural conviction that other people love to make fun of and belittle. So I have genuine sympathy for sincere Christians who simply can't feel comfortable celebrating Christmas. Regardless, I do believe anti-Christmas convictions are not founded in solid facts, nor do I think anti-Christmas convictions are worthy of imposing on fellow believers. It's true that we don't exactly know the date of Jesus's birth, and it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. It's also true that Christians didn't start celebrating Christmas until hundreds of years after the resurrection. And my response to that basically boils down to a a ho-hum shrug of the shoulders. So what? I don't need an exact date to celebrate and reflect on my Savior's birth. It's nice to have an agreed-upon date so everyone can celebrate at the same time. It's also worth remembering that early Christians were understandably busy avoiding martyrdom and being mutilated by lions and burned at the stake. So arguing that because early Christians didn't celebrate Christmas means Christmas is somehow prohibited today 
to me is a pretty awkward theological and intellectual leap. Celebrating all things having to do with Jesus seems like something every Christian should be excited about. And you would think it would be something that we could all come to unity about. It's true also that the Bible never specifically commands us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. The word Christmas is not found in the Bible. And again, my response is a fairly disinterested shrug of the shoulders. You can't hear me, but I'm shrugging my shoulders now. If the Bible prohibited celebrating the birth of Jesus, I would be all ears and fully on board with the anti-Christmas sentiments from Christians. But Scripture does give us important details surrounding the miraculous birth of the Messiah. In each of these passages, angels and people celebrated the birth of Jesus. Many Old Testament prophecies revolved around the birth of Jesus. And it's safe to say there are many scriptures affirming the celebration of Christ's birth and absolutely zero scriptures forbidding it. Regarding the concern that Christmas is rooted in paganism, the evidence for that claim is is really far from clear. The origins of so many modern traditions are unsubstantiated and, and often misinformed. Sources claiming Christmas's pagan roots contradict one another and rarely have any reliable methods for verification. And uh, please don't send me any weird internet links. I've seen them all. And uh, I'll tell you, it's just the same thing with no verification or substantiated evidence. While some minor Christmas traditions like holly were probably used in pagan rituals, this doesn't make Christmas evil by association. At the very least, you could just refrain from using holly if you find that offensive. Many things were used in pagan rituals that we use on a daily basis. For example, oak trees were revered almost universally by pagans, and yet Christians don't refrain from using oak trees and oak wood in their homes and yards. Even the Nike logo was originally a pagan symbol, but the association has been changed and no longer has pagan connotations. Either way, a Christian concerned about pagan symbolism could still celebrate Christmas and refrain from the particular traditions they find worrisome. This concern doesn't require throwing Christmas out completely. Now, the Christmas tree debate is probably the most common concern Christians wrestle with in their minds. It's a hotly debated issue, and it's an extension of the pagan roots concern. But this concern should be taken a little more seriously because there are two Bible passages that can be distressing at first glance. They are Jeremiah 10, 1 through 16, and Isaiah 44, 9 through 18. The most cited passage comes from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. I'll read it to you very quickly. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. Wow. So, When looking at that passage uh, out of context, it really does seem to be, at the very least, a prohibition against Christmas trees. I could certainly see how you could make that that, uh, connection in your mind. But when you look at the passage in its context, it's clear that Jeremiah is referring to craftsmen who cut down trees for the purpose of creating idols. The decorating uh, referred to here isn't the decoration of a tree itself, 
but the decoration of a carved idol. So the tree is cut down and carved into an idol, and that is the the fastening it with nails and the decking it with silver. Even more specifically, Jeremiah is expressly forbidding falling down and worshiping handmade idols. This biblical command applies to everything other than God alone. Worshiping a tree, a Christmas tree, or anything else would be idolatry of the worst kind. I've known people who worship trees, but they were not Christmas trees. Even so, I could understand someone feeling uncomfortable with a Christmas tree. However, simply avoid the tree and celebrate the Savior if your conscience demands it. If you're uncomfortable with my quick explanation of Jeremiah 10, 3 through 4, look at John Gill's exposition of the Bible on verse 3. And you can go again to the blog, RyanAFrench.com, and look for the article titled, uh, Should Christians Celebrate Christmas? And I have the link there. It's highlighted and easy for you to find. The last objection that many Christians raise is reasonable and should be heeded. Christmas has been hijacked by secularism and crass commercialism. There is a sense in which Christmas can become about receiving and not giving. The pressure to buy irresponsibly can be overwhelming at Christmas time. All the reindeer and elves can crowd out the message of Christmas if we aren't careful. All the decorating, cooking, buying, and wrapping can become a silly substitute for reverencing the miracle of the birth of Jesus. Christians should guard against this mindset and strive, do their very best, to keep Jesus rooted firmly at the center of the season. I know that sounds like a platitude, but it really is just incredibly true. We have to work to make sure that we keep Jesus at the center of the season. The benefits of Christmas, in my opinion, far outweigh any of the negative. The world is almost universally exposed to the story of Jesus' entrance into the world, and that's a wonderful thing. That revelation alone leads to more and more questions about who Jesus is and what he did while he was here. This opens tremendous opportunities for Christians to evangelize, to share their faith, and talk about Jesus openly. Christmas brings families together and connects thoughts of Jesus with happy family memories. Christmas brings out the selflessness in many people. Charitable giving goes up drastically during the Christmas season. Many hard hearts grow tender towards God as they consider the miracle of the Christmas story. Churches fill up with people who usually would not make church a priority. This exposes people to godly environments that can implant a seed of God's word into their consciousness. For Oneness Pentecostals, Christmas is an awesome opportunity to expose other Christians to the great revelation that Jesus was the mighty God in Christ. For example, does it really make sense that a separate deity would send a son who is also a co-equal deity to die on his behalf? What kind of father would send his son to be tortured and killed on his behalf? No, Jesus was the Word incarnate. God manifest in the flesh. Christmas is an excellent time to emphasize that Emmanuel literally means God with us. Jesus wasn't just one of three distinctly separate deities born of a virgin. He was Emmanuel in the flesh. He's referred to as the Son of God because he had no earthly father. I don't usually like the New American Standard Version, but I think it gives the clearest translation and explanation for why Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. Look at this, uh, this excerpt from Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. 
Even the disciples seemed slightly confused about what this terminology meant. In John chapter 14, Jesus was comforting them because he was leaving. And he mentioned the mansions in his father's house and how no one could get to the father but by him. And this caused Thomas to ask Jesus where he was going and how would they know the way? That's John 14, 5. Jesus' most famous response is in verse 6 where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But most people often overlook John 14, verse 7, the very next verse. He said this, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Jesus clarified that because you have known me, you know the Father, and you have seen the Father. Wow, that's an epic revelation. But Philip was still struggling to catch Jesus' implication, so he asked him to, to show him the Father. Lord, show us the Father. So Jesus gives one of the clearest of all answers in Scripture about his deity. This is from John chapter 14, verses 9 through 10. He said, Have I been so long a time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Jesus made the messianic claim that he was literally God in human flesh. That is the quintessential message of the Christmas story. God came to dwell with us. I can't see how that is anything other than wonderful to celebrate. Listen to what Isaiah 9, 6 said. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. A Christmas Carol by Christina Rossetti In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow In the bleak midwinter long ago Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain Heaven and earth shall pass away When he comes to reign in the bleak midwinter A stable place sufficed The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ Enough for him, whom cherubim worship day and night, a breast full of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him, whom angels fall down before, the ox and camel which adore. Angels and archangels may have gathered there, cherubim and seraphim thronged the air. But only his mother, in her maiden bliss, worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Give him my heart. I'm about to read the poem Christmas Bells by Henry Wadesworth. Now, you've probably heard this in song form, and of course it is a beloved Christmas song, but originally it was a poem that was later turned into a song. So, without further ado, Christmas Bells by Henry Wadesworth. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet their words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men, till ringing singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, 
a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the south the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. So this program is basically unofficially fueled by Coke Zero and Espresso. Uh, We don't have big financial supporters. Apostolic Pentecostal programming like this is never going to receive support from major corporations. We're not going to have money flowing into it like uh, the big podcasts and big radio programs uh, that people typically listen to. And so we are completely dependent on your generosity. And so you can go to anchor.fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. And you can sign up to give as little as 99 cents a month. Uh, That's about $12 a year. You can give $4.99 a month. That's the middle tier or as much as $9.99 per month. And it just helps us keep everything going. It also supports the blog as well. Uh, No one's looking to make money, but it does help us to upgrade Uh, the production value of this program. We want to do the best that we possibly can. And also, uh, if you're not able to do that, please consider giving this podcast five stars on iTunes and a quick review as well. That pushes us up in the algorithms where people know we exist and they find us in search engines. And whatever format you listen to, just give give us a little shout out. Perhaps give us a share on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That just helps get the word out that we exist, and I do appreciate it. Thank you for listening.